guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. Hi, everyone. It's a, a nice, lovely Saturday morning for us, but whenever you're listening to this, we're glad you're here. We have a guest today. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about, we, throughout the 10 years, we've been doing a lot of talking about a lot of things. But recently, we talked a little bit about like finances and personal finances and how that's such a weird top. I, let me say, for me personally, it's a weird topic. It's not a weird topic for our guest because she does this all the time for her job. So we're always happy to bring on experts to talk about things that we certainly don't know enough about and we want to become more comfortable with. So welcome to the show, Lynette. You have been a listener for eight years, it seems, which is so funny. So why don't you do a quick intro and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Good morning to everyone that's at least live. um, And happy Thursday to everyone listening on Thursday mornings. Um, As you know, you're a pro, you know the drill. (laughs) I guess I'll start with saying I'm an eight year, I'm pretty sure it was eight years because I started listening in 2015. So back when it was Girls Gone Wad. Um, So eight year listeners, probably the first part of my intro, but my name is Lynette Rivas. I am a certified financial planner. And my current full-time role is being a wealth advisor for a small family office in Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome. We're so excited to have you. As you guys know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking on the podcast of like, you know, there's so much like should out there about personal finances and a lot of us are not given good information or habits as we're growing up. Even if we were, the financial landscape has changed so much since our parents' generation that some of that advice and maybe even a lot of that advice is no longer the best advice. So we're really excited to have you on just to kind of talk through like real finance 101. If you are listening to this and you have a lock on your finances, a lot of this is probably going to feel like a review to you. But if you are sitting there thinking, I am so the the our hope for this episode is that if you are someone who is like in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even 20s, and has sat there and thought, I feel like I'm supposed to know this by now, but it feels like it's too late to ask. Mm-hmm. This is really for you. Yeah. I just wanted to, to tee that up. I know there's gonna be so much shame around not understanding your personal finances and so much feeling of everyone else has this figured out. Everyone else like got personal finance 101 from their parents or whatever. And that's just so not the case. So tell us a little bit about what you see when you start working with people. Yeah, I think um, I've moved roles a little bit, but let me start with the context on why I even started this whole journey to financial planning. I myself did not have any advice given. My parents were immigrants. They went through the 2008 bankruptcy that impacted their ability to pay anything towards college. So it was always kind of like, you figure it out, go do whatever you can. When I got to grad school, I got, um, I don't even know how I started, but I got a collections call from like an apartment complex that apparently I had owed money for after I left. And I was like, what the heck is this? Some girl that I was around said, you should check your credit score. And I said, no, no, no. People say, don't do that, right? Clear to your point on it's antiquated information. But the myth was you don't check your credit score. It affects it even more. She said, that's not true. Check it. So I did. And I was empowered at that point to see what all my financial transactions and history. It was almost like a like a report card or of sorts of my finances up until that point. So I then became almost obsessed with it. I was like, oh, this is really informative. Like I like seeing all my debts lined up. And that took me down this path of like truly understanding finances because it was empowering. It was like I wasn't caught off guard by whoever's calling me saying I owe money, I can defend myself here. So flash forward into the future, I end up in higher education, working with college students. And while I'm sitting there in financial aid, that's where I landed. Um, We're you know, trying to counsel families into, is this the right choice? How do we afford this? How do we make this work to go to said university? And I had a moment of, do you, do, do you student, do you like Joy understand the impact of taking out $200,000 in student debt without even knowing where you're going to end up? And they didn't. And if you think about it, I think, Claire, to your point, the financial landscape, higher education is like this free-for-all in a way. Go to college. It's what you should do. Oh, and by the way, we'll charge you X amount. And you have no concept of what that even means. I feel like so many people who now have six figures of student debt or more described it describe it as like, at that time, it felt like monopoly money. This didn't mm-hmm. mean anything to me. You know, the fact that I was taking out these this debt that now ha- is going to hang over my head for the rest of my life, had people had no context for that at 18 at all. It literally felt like monopoly money. Like, yeah, you sign up for it. They give it to you. Like, 
no harm, no foul. <laughs> you go wild. And I think it's and when I was sitting with them, I think a lot of the blame is on these students. They knew what they were doing. But if you think back to when you were 17, 18, what concept did you have of paying water bills, paying a mortgage, oh my gosh. paying a car? It just did not affect you in any way. Yeah. Unless your parents are really open about money or at least yeah. like talk. I mean, unless uh, maybe they have a job in finances, but like unless that happens, I feel like you just are kind of left to your own yeah. devices. And I remember, you know, yes, with the college thing of like kind of taking out student loans, and it feels like student loans is monopoly, monopoly money. Um, because you're just like, well, I guess I'll, they focus a lot on like what job you'll get when you graduate. And you're like, oh, I just like pay it back and low interest rates and blah, 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 blah. I just remember just being really kind of you're um, really immature. And then you're also just not super educated about this. You don't you don't have that real world experience of paying bills. A side note too, you're kind of a, a target for credit card companies. Um, I remember getting almost sucked into this like MLM. I had no idea what an MLM was, but I was like 18 years old and they were just like, yeah, you can make all this money. I went to like this huge meeting where they were trying to get people into this. And and then I remember being like, my gut told me that this was really not legit. I had no idea why, but I just remember being like so confused. Anyway, the whole point of that being like, you just have to be super, super careful, but it's also like the system is also set up to kind of like make you fail. Yeah. And then it's, well, you obviously have to go to college, right? Like the American dream is you go to college and especially yeah. you go to as high of a school, as prestigious as you can get. Right, get right. That, the state school down the road is probably just right. as great and more affordable. Exactly. So that was the landscape or at least the world I was living in. And that's where I pursued my CFP, which really stands for a certified financial planner. But I was seeking really the coursework behind it. So I could go back and teach these students like, hey, now by the time I got through the coursework, I was just empowered even to the 10th degree taxes, budgeting, credit, like all of it was coming together for me. I have to just interrupt and say like, I'm, I'm so impressed that you took something that was like a collections call. And instead of getting scared, you were like, I got to empower myself because I, back then I would have been terrified. And I think so many people just are like, this is a bill that I just need to like rip up and it's going to go away. Or, you know, like not take it seriously. I just feel like that is we run myself. Let me speak for myself. I run from that stuff. I don't as I don't now, but I used to because it was like, so scary. And you don't really feel like the consequences are super high at the time. And that's what I think people don't face is like the consequences, they can just kind of keep putting them back. And I love that you just took that as like an empowering moment to, to learn more. I'm like, that's so cool. I'm so glad you did that because now you're helping so many people. Yeah. And that was the uh, the intent of like, if I learn this information, I can help others. And it ended up paying off not only for my own life and like my own personal finance, but truly and legitimately for my family. Because again, still immigrants, still the system is out to get them essentially. So being able to do their taxes, like please stop paying that sketchy guy that's posting a sign on the intersection. You don't need that. Like I'll do your taxes. And so it was a sense of this information can really have a linear positive effect on people's lives if they learn it early and if they learn it in a way that isn't shameful right because a lot of the reason why women particularly don't get it it's i'm not good at math that's 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 intimidating i'd rather just like you know be the ostrich and put your head in the sand and it's like no 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 no. please please like let's work with you with where you're at to figure out how do we get better so that when you are in a situation where you know a bill comes in you're not sure or you're trying to uh, joy's example like hey i got laid off or i want to go to that concert to know that you can because you set up everything else on autopilot is also empowering because now you're you can make a really well-informed decision without instead saying you know what frugality matters i need to save every penny i'm horrible at saving money etc cetera, etc cetera. and it just it, it doesn't leave you i think in a positive place to make a change for yourself so I'll, that's my background into how i got into that, that was a really yeah, yeah. long tangent into why i got it really into the space and going back to what you said about what you see so I think financial planners, for the most part, not all of them, but they're mostly working with individuals that have wealth at some point. And so I, I still see a lot of, the, I still saw and see a lot of the traits that I will mention, the fear, the intimidation, the woman saying, nope, let Joe or whoever handle that. Or some life event has happened, somebody has passed away, and I see them when I don't know what to do. I've never once handled finances ever. And so then you're faced with it. Like you almost have to overcome that fear, but you're also grieving. So also back to our points of like why this matters, you don't want to grieve and have to figure out where did they leave me off? Where did my husband or where did my partner or my mom or dad leave off? Because oftentimes kids are the executors of their parents' estates. So all that to say, I saw a lot of fear, intimidation, some of the themes that keep coming up. Um, but I think, again, the earlier you can catch in, the earlier we embrace it, the better. And I think that's the intent for today's uh, show. 
Right. Yeah. And we have such a vast audience, mostly women, but so why is this important? And what, what, like, I want to give people actual tools of like steps. Where do we start? Yes. Where do we start when you're kind of like, "Ah, I don't know anything. And what do I do? So I definitely have my six steps on what to do, right? Like, where do I start? Uh, But before that, it's why does it matter? I mean, I can go on and on with women will likely outlive men. Women will be likely the estate holders. Um, That I see in my practice all the time. Um, Again, the collections call. Finances are interwoven into your lives, regardless if you want them to be or not. If you are in charge of a household or you're working or you are the breadwinner, it's inevitable that you are dealing with finances on a day-to-day basis. You're making transactions, you're paying bills, you're trying to go to Ireland, right? There are money influences so many parts of our lives that you can't really get away from it. Even if you wanted to, you can't get away from it. Yeah, you really want to you really want to get away from it. You're like, but Starbucks every day. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just but so then, funny. And then yeah. you get the Starbucks, but then you have this guilt about the Starbucks. So either yeah. way, like it's like this double-edged right. sword no matter where you go. I also feel like there is so much social media around like how silly it is to live on beyond your means. Not silly like how bad it is, but silly like, oh, ha, ha, we're all living above our means. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, go keep going. Like Starbucks is the quintessential example. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. We all know cutting out Starbucks is probably not going to move the needle unless you are like living paycheck to paycheck and overdrawing every single time. Maybe go ahead and cut that extra 20 bucks out of your life. But like really what we're talking about here, a lot of times what I'm seeing is like those trips to Target where you just don't even pay attention to what's in your cart. And then you get up there and it's $400. You're like, oh, ha ha. Everybody does this. And it feels like there's this permission to just live beyond your means because like you look around and everyone's just kind of like making fun of it. I feel like that is another version of avoidance where you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, everybody's kind of living. Everybody, Everyone has a bunch of credit card debt. Everybody ha- has like these big monthly payments for all these things. I feel like that's something recently, just speaking for myself, that like I've had to get away from of just feeling like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like everybody's kind of just mm-hmm. scraping by at the end of the day and we all pretend we're not. Yeah, that social media. Yeah, right. Uh, um, I, I think you guys have spoken a lot about it. It's so relatable to personal finance, not personal finance, but fitness too, right? Everybody else has it together or the opposite. You know, I'm just going to give up. Like, it's not that big of a deal. They said, take a break. It's so personal, but we tend to go with whatever the crowd is swaying us at whatever moment that makes us feel good. And it does nothing for you personally. That $400 cart may be all right. That $400 cart may not be okay. Right. Maybe we need to dismantle that cart to make sure that it's not going to set us over the edge. So, uh, yeah, social media and influences and what's going on. I think the more you can shut it off, the better. But again, it's inevitable sometimes with staying up to date and kind of in the know. So on to if you guys are okay with uh, what to do. Right. Because I think that's the practical part of this. So in the personal finance space, there's a lot of now for sure, these personalities, right? The Dave Ramsey's, the Suze Orman's, the Ray Ramit. I think there's a lot of good to take away from them. But I think if I'm a distinguishable figure in this space, so to speak, on my first podcast, it's I just don't do well with shame. That doesn't feel good. The yelling, the, you know, you're stupid for making that purchase, Claire. Stop listening to social media. Don't go to the Taylor Swift tour. That doesn't really resonate with me because I think it it almost pushes you back. If you're already fearful, it like pushes you back. I also don't love the headlines where you should be at age 30 because it speaks nothing to your personal situation. I can tell Joy you should have half a million dollars at your age. If she doesn't have that, it doesn't do her any good to know that. So I, I mean, will... is that what people say? Is that a benchmark or is that just yeah, a number oh, you throw? If you just like, <laughs> I don't know if it's the actual benchmark. I An online calculator. Out. I'm like, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I I saw a headline recently that was like, by the time you're 35, you should have double your salary in your your Roth. And I was like, okay, this, this is just making so many assumptions. First of all, do you even know what a Roth is and that you even have one? And, you know, it's like, to me, I think when I see the Dave Ramseys of the world, you know, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? How did you get yourself into this mess? And, you know, the like one, those headlines of by the time you're XYZ age, you should have this much in your retirement or, or on the flip side, oh, you know, everyone has, is walking around with 600 years of credit card debt. It feels very, I mean, it reminds me of diet culture. And that's like kind of where my mind goes just because we spend so much time talking about that, where it's like, okay, if you are looking for a one size fits all, you are never going to find it. And the more you try, the more you're going to fail. The harder you try to 
force someone else's plan onto your life, the odd person will be able to make that work because their circumstances align the you know the, the closest with like what that Dave Ramsey style person has in mind. But the majority of us are going to feel like we are shoving a square peg into a round hole and it's going to make it worse. Then you're going to feel shame about your finances and then shame that you can't make this program work for right. you. That's exactly why. I mean, and again, I was, I fed into it when I was early on. I, I do think the Suze Orman and Dave Ramsey's, they have really good takeaways. But again, the feeling of like the headlines, right? It's clickbait. It's meant to, you want to click on it. You want to see how you measure up. But I've realized time and time again, it's so unrealistic. It doesn't matter if you have half a million dollars, if that's not going to support your lifestyle in 10, 20 years. So, so much of finance, like dieting and eating is personal. It has to be personal. You can't, you know, take a headline of whatever diet trend is going on and apply it and hope for results. I mean, you may get results, but perhaps you may not. And then you're back in this failure cycle. So the points I make, um, I'll start with, there's six points that I'll make. Instead of giving baseline benchmarks, I'll say what's good, what's better, and what's best. And my hope is that the audience can apply that. Like, where am I? Maybe I can just start with the baseline and work my way up from there. But I won't have this pressure of if I'm not at the best, I am not making progress. At the end of the day, small steps are what matter here. So the first one is acknowledgement. So like we've mentioned fear, you know, this intimidation, whatever the trauma, I think there's a lot of money trauma on how you were raised too. So I'm not going to discount that part, but it's just acknowledging where you are. What I would do practically, if I were enacting this step, take out every single account you have and just figure out what is it? Like what accounts do you have? How much money is in them? Or, you know, the opposite, how much do I owe? And that's it. Just acknowledgement. Like I'm just going to gather all the bills and all the, you know, electronic statements and just figure out what's my baseline. The reason why this also matters, especially when we're speaking about retirement, pensions are long gone. Like I'm not sure that there is a person out there that's probably still eligible for a pension because they've basically shifted the responsibility of providing for retirement from a company from the employer, right? A pension was essentially like GM, you know, promising joy that whenever she did 50 years of service, she was guaranteed her retirement. That has shifted. So now joy is responsible for her retirement. Retirement accounts really matter because as you switch jobs, they basically stay in different buckets. And so a lot of people oftentimes just forget about them. Not the thing to forget about. So gather every single statement you think that exists out there and just say, here's where I'm at. Here's this account. Here's what I owe or what's in it. That's it. That's the first step of I'm going to I'm going to embrace this day one. What do I have? Where am I? I think a subset of that too is just thinking through goals. Like what's something you really want to do that you are fearful you don't have enough for? So is it taking a trip? Is it going to visit family? Is is it buying a X item? I think that helps center it as a positive thing. Like I am working towards something positive that I, will bring me joy in the future. So acknowledgement is step one. Step two, expenses. So budgeting, essentially. What is coming in and what is going out? So there's what accounts do I have? But then there's also the next big one of what are the daily transactions of my household every single month? This is oftentimes a step that people hate because it feels like the discipline, I can't stick to a budget. I'm not even saying stick to it. I'm just saying figure out what it is. What am I spending at Target on a monthly? monthly basis, right? Like averaging it out. What is my power bill? What is my water bill? Um, how much am I spending? I think is the hardest, like on personal things, the Starbucks transactions, those can be oftentimes the hardest to aggregate. But if you just pull up six months worth of whatever debit card transactions or credit card, you should have a good idea of it. That one is instrumental because two things will come out of this. Either you will identify, I'm actually making a decent amount. I just need to recommit to saving more. Or you're going to realize I am living paycheck to paycheck, right? Two things will come out of that. I don't know what path you will land on, but it is instrumentally important to figure out where am I, what is coming in and what is going out? Because at that point, now you can actually start taking action. So any questions you guys have on that? So step one is acknowledgement. Step two is what's going in and out. I think I just want to normalize, you yeah. know, Joy's writing in the chat. I'm allergic to budgets. This is, and this is a process. I only went through this year in that amount of detail. Like in the past six months, have I started budgeting line item by line item? And it was because for so many years, I felt like I'm spending so much on childcare. I'm spending so much here. And they're like, I don't even want to know about it. Every month I'm pulling from my savings. And it's like, okay, finally got to the point where I realized I am afraid to look at this. I know we're living beyond our means. I know it for a fact, but I am i don't want to have to face that. I just want to say that to normalize, like it is so common. I'm 35, right? Like it's so common to be at a point where you just don't want to know. And when I say I'm pulling for my savings, that is generational wealth. That is inherited money. So I'm not saying like, you know, I am set up in a way that a lot of people are not set up and I'm just ignoring it, right? And 
I'm not saying that I have like gobs and gobs of trust funds elsewhere, but like when relatives pass and I inherit a little bit of money, I would just use that as supplemental income. I think that there is, I'm just trying to paint the picture here and for normalizing, like this is so personal to everyone and it's common to be at any age and feel like I've never really sat down and done this and that's okay. And the point here is not, oh my gosh, you have to go do this right now or your life's going to fall apart. It's like, take your power back. It is so empowering to me now, this process that I really feared. I downloaded all the, you know, Mint and you need a budget. I downloaded all the stuff. I could never get get into it. Finally, I just created a Google Doc that worked for me, a spreadsheet that worked for me. Little line items. This, these are my expenses, blah, blah, blah. It took a couple months for me to get there, for me to like get to the point where I was tracking my finances close enough just in my checking account to where I could line item everything. Like that's how far away from that I was. Now it feels so empowering. It does feel like, okay, I don't have to have this little voice in the back of my head anymore wondering like, are you about to run out of money? Did you just make a bad choice? Like, you you know, what are you doing? You know, Joy, when you say you're allergic to budgets, what does that mean for you? Well, I've, I've, never, I've never set a budget. Like I've just in my mind know how much, and I've said this before, Scott and I have separate bank accounts. We do the same exact thing since we dated where we just split the bills even. I mean, like obviously since we got married, not when we were dating, we weren't splitting bills, but like we keep everything, not even to the dime because we make different amounts, but like I just know in my head kind of like loosely what I have to pay for. And I look at my savings account every month and I'm just kind of like, I have a number that I want it to kind of like stay at. So that's the way that I like see it. Like, okay, if it dips below this that I need to like save. So I don't do like line by line, but I go off of the amount that my savings account is at. Like it's, so that's like the, but that feels like still, like I just, I think looking at it line item by line item just feels kind of like, macro counting to me where I'm like, that just feels exhausting. You know, like, I don't want to be at that level of restriction, which I interpret it as restriction. I understand it's not restriction. So it's interesting to me. So that's kind of why. But I also think about like, growing up, didn't have a lot of money, we were kind of always like pinching pennies. So for me, budgeting kind of like reminds me of those days. But it's not I just wrote in the chat, I was like, oh, I think my goal for the rest of the year is like, just not be scared of that. Yeah. And like, look at it a little bit. Because I don't, I don't completely ignore. And I think I'm really, if anything, I am really frugal with everything. Like I am super frugal. So if anything, I think it will make me less scared of also just spending on some things that are super fun. I want to also jump in on that belief that tracking automatically results in restricting. Again, here we go with the diet culture mindset too. Like it's it's so, um, there's so many parallels, but I think that is something that does hold a lot of people back to think once I know what I'm actually doing, I'm immediately like, it's, I'm going to have to drastically change things and drastically stop doing the thing, these things that I like doing. And I'd rather just like kind of have an ignorance is bliss mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, Joy, what I heard from there was restriction, right? And it and then you got further, which this is the part that behavioral finance really fascinates me. It brought you back to a memory. Like, oh, when I was growing up, that restriction is what I, I don't want to go back to that. And so I think that's the inherent almost beauty and downside of finance is that everybody has a money story. And oftentimes we don't even realize it until we're in an argument or where something is stressing us out. Nine times out of 10, it has something to do psychologically, in my opinion, with something that you either experience and never acknowledge because we all grew up around finances. Our parents were managing a household and we were a part of it. So I, I do think, um, you know, hey, just line item by line item for people, that's restriction. That's a, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. But then what I also heard, Joy, was that you have a benchmark. I have a savings account and I'm watching that passively. That is actually a really good thing. I have a savings account. I know roughly where it should be. Sounds like you and Scott have also talked about joint finances, right? Whatever that means, separate accounts, but we contribute to the household based on our income. All of that is worlds away from where people typically are. They don't talk about it with their spouse. They don't have a savings account. They're not. So there is also something beautiful about also some of you all out there are probably doing a really good job, like better. That's interesting. Yeah. Then you're giving yourself credit for. Um, That's but. true. That's really true. Because I think about that where I'm like, yeah, we're actually it's in my mindset. It's um, that perfection piece of like, uh, if we go to let's just use the diet culture analogy of just like, the perfection, uh, looking a certain way doing it the right, the quote unquote, right way uh, is very much the same mindset of this where I'm like, actually, I didn't, we need to give ourselves credit because we do talk about it. Scott keeps a budget for his own 
like expenses. <laughs> and I'm like, and it, so we're halfway there, I guess. But no, I think we do we do talk about it. But it, so it's not like I'm completely ignoring it. I think it's just there are feelings mm-hmm. wrapped up in it that I think that is the important thing for people to take away is like, so what are your feelings around it that maybe it, it could take you a little bit further? Like we're not talking about 100% perfect, but can you just move the needle one or 2%? Yes. That is, and if there's anything that anybody takes away from here is, hey, there's something I can grasp onto that'll at least get me one step further. I'm not saying you all are going to be like set for retirement and set for all your goals by the end of this. You won't be. It's an ever evolving process. And as someone that did budget significantly back in the day, I mean, I do the paper and pencil budget model. Like I don't have a Google spreadsheet. I don't have an Excel spreadsheet. I live by just writing it out and it's almost journaling for me, writing out what my expenses are, but I've also deviated for six months and I was just, bless your heart, Claire, the surf camps, like just finding all of them that I could go to and spending. And I was like, okay, I need to bring it back. Like it is not a perfect process. No one here is ever maintaining a month by month strict. And if they are, that's probably not a great way to live either. Like there's freedom in enjoying life and enjoying the money. So again, it's this dichotomy of like going back and forth. But again, acknowledging it, just writing it down, you know, putting aside the feeling of restriction or I need to stick to this or I'm a bad person if I don't. Those are all feelings that will come and just acknowledge them and put them aside. So writing it in, again, writing it down just because it matters what's going in and out. And then we get to the practical part. So if you're like, okay, Lynette, I know what I'm spending. Again, I have a good idea. I just, I I need some easy steps to see where I'm at. Step three is do I have an emergency account with at least some funds in it? All right, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor this week, Ned. Ned, the makers of our favorite CBD products. I went on a trip recently to turn in Joe, and I took my Mellow with me. It's a great little travel companion. They come in very small, travel-friendly packets. It really helped my nervous system through that trip of turning Joe in and really being sad and upset and really trying to calm myself, get a good night's sleep. They have Mellow. They have a sleep blend. They have actually sleep blend capsules if you don't want to do the tincture. They come with a dream set so you could get like mellow and a sleep blend. You can check out everything on their website, helloned.com. You can get a discount of 15% off your first order by going to helloned.com forward slash joy to support the podcast. Over the years, we bring you products that we really truly believe in and that we use ourselves and we love the owners. We love the creators. We love what they stand for. Everything on their website is so informative. They have really good tips for focus, for immunity, recovery. So please support the podcast by going to helloned.com forward slash joy and enter code joy for 15% off your order. Okay, so step three, an emergency account. So this is uh, fundamental to a lot of just starting somewhere. And the reason is, if you think about what can completely destroy a financial plan is an unexpected expense, a car repair, loss of a job, right? Just these things can rattle your world. And that account is essentially solving for that. So here's where I start breaking it down by good, better and best. Good enough is one to three months worth, worth of expenses. So again, The reason why we did step two was to figure out what do I need to live? What is my sustainable budget? Or what is my sustainable number, so to speak? So we get away from the word budget, but what's a sustainable number to maintain this household? Rent, utilities, things I need to have shelter and eat. And that's my baseline. So when I say net expenses, here's what I mean. Whatever salary somebody quoted you at, so Claire, you make 60,000, right? As an example, that is the gross number. That is pre-tax dollars. What hits your account every month is the net amount. So 60,000 is what your employer promises. If you, you know, divide that by 12, you're like, that's a little weird. That's not what I'm getting in my account. The net amount is post deduction. So post taxes, post Medicare, post retirement, post healthcare. That's your net amount. Then you break that down further into deploying those dollars into mortgage, rent, utilities. That is what we speak about when we say net expenses. So if I can cut streaming and I can cut my gym membership and I only need $3,000 to really make it by, that's your number. That's month one. Multiply that by three, you have $9,000. I at minimum need to have that in my account to sustain me in case something happens. And it could be anything, but ideally you're thinking of it from the mindset of what's the worst thing? I lose my income. I lose my job. Okay, how do I get by so that I can find another one? I need to have that amount set aside. It doesn't need to be in a fancy account. I could get into the true financial landscape, but with interest rates so high right now, you can actually make a lot more than the pennies that they were offering before, but that's not what matters. What matters is that there's $9,000 set account, set aside in an account that you can dip into 
if something were to happen. That's the bit bare minimum, one to three months. That's good. Better would be three to six months and best would be six plus months without going wild. Like, please don't put your money under a mattress for life. You don't need more than six to 12 months of living expenses set aside in an emergency account because that is just your, if something were to happen, I can dip into it and I can replenish it once I'm back on my feet. So I'll pause there. Um, I know, Joy, you've had experiences with that with someone saying, hey, that's what that emergency account is for. Because it's also, once we save it, we don't ever want to pull out of it. And so there's that other thing yeah. you need to work through of like, that's what it's there for. That's that's why right. it exists. Yeah. And that's really funny because that's exactly my thought was like, oh, yeah, I have a savings account. And Brie was like, oh, cool. Like, that's what savings is for. And I was like, is it? You know, it's that fear. It's fear of if I, how much am I going to, what if I'm, I'm unemployed for longer than, you know, I have a savings for? It's all of that fear. So I'm trying to like squeeze it out as long as possible. And I was, I had severance, you know, like I had money coming in too. So it was like, it was really interesting that like, even that mindset of like, I had a certain amount of severance, like a cushion of salary coming in. And I was worried about going into the savings. I was so worried about like how long it was going to take for me to get a job. But that mindset for me personally is still something I struggle with, even though I don't have to, you know, it's like, preparing, preparing, preparing for some future catastrophe that's not even here. So I just continue to like squirrel the nuts away for the winter. (laughs) But someone someone brought up a really good point too of like, it's so hard to have an emergency account when you barely make enough to have a savings account. I know a lot of people struggle with that too. Like not being able to see progress is really hard. So what would you say to that? I think this, uh, again, going back to the first, a lot of finance is so personal. This is a universal message, right? That may not apply to you. And I think that's the reality of privilege and where you are in life. But that first part of what do I have coming in? What do I have going out? I'm living paycheck to paycheck, Lynette. Like this is it. And I think that's real. I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying stop spending at Target because then you'll have you know some extra funds. That's not my message at all. I think that's a reality of a lot of people in America, if not the majority. And I think at that point, it's what can I do with that information? What resources do I have available? Is this a phase of life that I'm in? Is there a skill set I'm going to acquire to hopefully put me in a better position financially? I think there are so many, that's the web of where it's me and Jacqueline speaking saying, okay, well, what can we do with that information? Because I could say, go get another job. That's not feasible. This whole, a side hustle economy, right? It would just go Uber or go, you know, pet sit. That's not a reality either. So if I can't cut and I can't do more, okay, then what's the two, three, four year, five year plan? Is this a forever state or is this just a phase of life? And, you know, down the road, my goal is to, again, get a promotion or acquire a different skill set. I came from the nonprofit sector. I acquired a skill set that completely catapulted me and my earnings. But again, I didn't go into it thinking that, but it's definitely a feasible thing. So again, that one is hard because it's it's so personal. But yeah, I said, you're either going to figure out I make enough and I just need to recommit funds or I don't. And then what do I do with that? How do I, how do I gain control of that? Just knowing that that's the truth and the reality of my current situation. And so step four, and again, there's only six, but then I did want to spend some time on uh, breaking down some of these terms. Step four is debt management. Debt management means to me the rule of thumb. What debt do I have out there? What interest am I paying on it? Because if you have debt, you are essentially making a company a lot of money. So American Express, Chase, they all are just waiting for you to have that balance on your credit card so they can charge you the 20% interest rate. At that point, if we have an emergency account, we know what's going in and out. The goal is what can I pay off here? And my rule of thumb, if the interest rate is higher than 6 7%, please make a plan to pay it off. But again, some people are really lazadaisical about debt and they function just fine in life. That was my big thing. If I can, instead of paying American Express 20%, I can take that money and save it and earn 7 8% over the long term. That's going to feel better than constantly paying American Express. So if I buy something for a dollar and it's really costing me a dollar twenty, that doesn't feel right. So again, I'm not going to harp on that one too much. A lot of people have different feelings about it. I always say if it's costing you more than six seven percent, try to pay it off because at that point you are just benefiting Visa, American Express. Again, those are the two I keep going back to, but they are 
hungry for that. And we are a society that loves consumer debt. So you need help with that. I always say the best thing to do is pull up a credit report. If you're like, I don't know what's out there and what I owe credit karma is I'm not, it's not a plug for them. I don't get paid by them. But again, just go on there, pull a credit report from one of the three reporting agencies and figure out what's out there in my name. What's the interest rate I'm paying on it? For sake of time, I'll move on to the fifth step. After you have your emergency account, you have your debt management underway. The very next thing you can do is now start investing for yourself. And the first place to start is with your employer-sponsored retirement plan. So not universal. A lot of you all are um, business owners. So if that is the case, there are ways to save for retirement. It's just not as simple as if you work for an employer that's providing one. I always say good here is whatever your employer is matching. If they match it, some of them don't. But uh, example, Claire has a a company that's saying, Claire, if you contribute 3%, we'll contribute 3%. That's Claire's baseline. I at least want to contribute enough that my employer can match it. Because if you don't, they honestly just won't put that in your account and that's free money that's just disappearing. So good is match whatever your employer can do. And if not, at least 3%. Better is 15% include it with your employer match. So again, that 3% example, great. I just need to contribute 12. I'm at 15. There was a few chatter points about million, like what a million means. It's not realistic for us, right? Anybody under the age of 50, a million will probably be insignificant. It's probably going to look more like two, three, four million dollars that we will need to have by the time we retire, just the way inflation is going. But all that to say is a recent study, if you guys want a benchmark, a recent study by Fidelity showed that millionaires right now, like the people with a million dollars in their 401ks at 59, just saved 17% steadily over time. That was like the magic number. So 15 is half, like you're close. So good is employer match, better is at least 15% and best. Here's a figure. The most any person can put in right now on a yearly basis without going over the max is $22,500. You, Claire, you, Joy, can put all of that from your paycheck into their into the employer plan. That's the most you can put. So they max it out. That money will inevitably grow over time because it is invested. And if it's not, please take a look at that. Your employer plan should have really simplified options to invest in the stock market. You want to do that. The younger you are, the more stock exposure you should have because it's not going to be you putting money away in a tin can that's going to be a retirement fund. It's going to be the growth in the market. So the more you put in, the more time you have, you guys have all heard that, the larger it grows, the more secure you are for retirement. So good, better, best. Employer match, 15%, maxing it out at 22,500. I'll pause there again in case there are any questions you guys have seen about that. Yeah, so somebody in the chat said, my husband's company only matches 3%. He was contributing 8%. I think he should take that 5% difference and put it into a Roth to diversify. Do you have thoughts on that? And I another kind of maybe side tangent to this is someone else had said, when it comes to investing, I just let my, I don't know if they said broker, but basically my broker handle it. Like, I don't, I don't need, I don't know what's going on. It's so confusing. He tries to explain it to me. I don't get, I don't get it. Is it also within all of this okay to kind of let someone else handle it? Um, yes, in a way. So I am a firm believer that your broker, right? So a person, I don't know what that really means in the context of are they offering financial planning, etc. If you don't get it, keep asking questions. Because here's the reality of that. You're paying that person dollars. You're paying them to do this job. And I, I feel like when I oftentimes met with couples, the person that understood the least stopped asking questions. And I don't think that was fair, right? Because it's information that you're paying paying them. They're, they're, you're paying them to do a job. Ask a thousand questions. I don't care if you are there for an hour and you need them to break down what is a stock. That is your right if you are paying them. And if they're being condescending or they're being annoyed, take your money elsewhere, right? Because you want to work with somebody that will help get you there. The fear, and I don't want to impart fear on people, If you look back to the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, there were brokers that were doing very sketchy things with people's money. And a lot of people lost a lot of money because of that. Again, comes down to now is the time to figure out if you are the person I am paying to do this, explain it to me like I am miles in an elevator, you know, very basic elementary level. Explain it to me that way. Because the flip side of that is for all you know, they could be doing something that doesn't make a lot of sense for you in your situation. So I always say yes, like obviously I'm in the industry where people pay to get that advice. I always say if you're in that situation, it's great. Just make sure you're asking as many questions as you can. It is not okay to say, I'm going to pay you X amount and you're free to do whatever you want. So that's my quip there. And then I'll get to the Roth uh, question here in a second. But the very last piece is the brokerage account. So we often talk about employer 
you know, the 401k space, debt management. So, you know, making sure your credit card is paid off every month and then um, your emergency account. The next step above that is a brokerage account. And what that really means, it's an account you can invest in that has nothing to do with retirement. So if we break it down baseline, your debit card is not earning any money. It's not meant to. It's just your in and out money, your emergency account, again, just set aside. It's not doing anything. Your employer plan is hopefully being invested in ideally the stock market, right? So it grows. Well, there's a middle part, right? What if Joy wants to retire before 59 and a half? Those employer plans are restricted. The reason why you get a tax cut and all of this is because the thought is that's what you tap into when you're 59 and a half. So what happens in between that? Like, what if I just have a long-term goal or I just want to retire early or what do I put that money? That's a brokerage account. If you Google brokerage account, nerd wallet, I'm sure will give you a hundred different options and they'll rank them and those are all perfectly fine. That's the Robin Hood, the Vanguards, the Fidelities. Money in there when you put it in. So Claire takes her money. She's like, okay, I've done the good, better, best. I'm on to saving more money. You put it in a brokerage account and ideally you are investing it. Now they have made this part really simple. If you're like, I don't know what's investing, great. Don't worry about it. There's a robo advisor. It will take your money. It'll ask you a few questions and it'll invest it. They've made this process very simple. We get into the tax considerations of it. And I know this sounds like it's going on a tangent, but it's not. We get to the Roth. So when you put money in an employer sponsor, they're going to ask you pre-tax or Roth. The common misconception is I can't invest in Roth because... I make too much money. That's not true for your employer plan. It does not matter how much money you make. You can always invest in a Roth. The difference, let's see if I can break this down pretty simple. So if Claire is like, I want to invest pre-tax, what does that mean for me? Why would I do that? Well, Claire takes 1,000 of her gross salary, puts it in the employer plan. The government is like, Claire, we won't tax that right now. Good for you. You just lowered your tax bill. Claire is like, fantastic. I'm going to put all my money in that. Great. When Clara retires at 59 and a half and she's like, I'm ready to take out that money to go to Ireland, that's when they tax it. So they give you the benefit now, you save some taxes right now, and in the future, when you take it out, they'll tax all of it. So whatever you put in plus the growth. The Roth question, right? Why does that matter? I personally love that option, but it's so dependent on what you can afford. If Claire is like, instead, you know what? I want to actually not be taxed on that money when I retire. You choose the Roth option. What happens is that same $1,000 gets taxed now. So let's say you end up with eight bucks, right? Because some of it went to taxes. That $8 goes into the account. It is now labeled Roth. Well, if that $8 grows to $100, when Claire is ready to take it out, it's not taxed. So that is the benefit of Roth. It's not taxed when you take it out. And that's a tremendous amount of money that you could have untaxed at retirement. So I'll pause there because that's one of the big ones. Roth, the misconception that I can't invest in Roth. You can in an employer plan. It's a 99% tax rate from $1,000 to $8. That would be a, I am in a very high tax bracket in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just joking. So in terms of like this chat question around diversifying. How does that play into the considerations of, okay, I I understand the different tax implications of the 401k versus the Roth, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to diversifying, putting money into different accounts, you know, maybe your employer always controls your 401k. You'd rather have some money that you have some more say over. Maybe you don't have like an exact, it sounds like there's a lot of factors that depends, Mm -hmm. but what are some of those things that you should be thinking about around the value of diversification if there is one? Yeah. So there's diversification of taxes, which matters because a lot of the tax laws will change. And so you'll hear, well, if you are in a low tax bracket, now or later or whatever. I always think if you can afford to put money in Roth, do so because it is going to hit your bottom line. If you suddenly go from all pre-tax to Roth, it will affect you in the sense that you may owe taxes at the you know the following year. I, I have. I was like all Roth and I was like, ooh, that tax bill hurts. So I'm not getting a tax deduction anymore. But I always think of tax diversification matters too. When you're 59 and a half, it is nice perhaps to think I have some money that will be taxed. I have some money that's tax-free because we don't know what's going to happen with tax laws. Are they going to get higher? Are they going to go down? We're in historically low tax bracket rate right now. So I think it matters if you can afford it. That's what I'll say. If you can afford to put money in a Roth account with your employer plan, do so. It is wonderful. That again, $8 grew to 100 and all of it is tax-free. You win in that situation. They're giving you, they're letting you do that. It's the only probably account that the government is not going to come after from a tax perspective. So I say do it. There's diversification of investments. While it is tempting to pay attention to the clickbait media, right? Like Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, AMC, 
I always think you're better off going in a diversified portfolio. Ignore the noise around you should be invested in this and this is going to grow 10 times. The goal here is slow and steady. It's not to become a millionaire tomorrow. And oftentimes that's another part that's overwhelming. I don't know what to invest in. They've simplified it. There are diversified pools of funds that you can go in there that'll keep you exposed. You're good. So diversification of assets, diversification of taxes, as diversified as you can get, the better, right? Um, you, You just have more options, I should say. The next big one, I think, when we're talking about pre and post tax dollars. So that's your employer plan, right? That's retirement for Claire and Joy. But what happens in this brokerage account? That one is taxed a little differently. Because if we're thinking through our paycheck, now you're like, oh, I've already done my employer plan. Let me put some additional dollars in a brokerage account. Well, how does that get taxed? That one, whatever you put in has already been taxed, right? The dollars you're putting in, the government has already taxed. You're now investing it. That one is not age restricted. So there's no penalty for taking it out early. There's no big, like fearful wait till you're 60. But what happens is if Claire puts in $10, simplify, she invests in Target. That Target stock grows to $100. Whenever Claire wants to take it out, they're just going to tax her on the growth. So that $90, that's what you get taxed on. And depending on when you take it out, you take it out before a year, they tax you at your current rate. If you take it out after a year, it's either 0%, 15%, or 20%. But this is where you hear a lot of news media on the rich kind of benefit from the tax system because a lot of their funds are in investments. So all that to say, it is good to be invested. It is good to have diversified funds, but without losing completely everybody on the technicalities of investing, the important part is that you are putting away as much as you can in that brokerage account because it just gives you so much more flexibility, so many more options. But I'll pause there because the very last thing I have is just estate planning, essentially. So for a brokerage account, do you have recommendations? You said you can Google it and like there's a dime a dozen, but do you have, I don't know. I always like the (laughs) most well-known ones uh, just because they've been around for ages. Uh, The ones you don't, I will say this, think about the ones you don't hear about in the news. If you hear about the news, you're like, hmm, maybe that's not where I want to put my funds. But again, Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, all have great reputations, have been around for ages, all generally stay out of the news for the most part. That's Mm -hmm. probably a good place to start. It's just the bread and butter of Americans brokerage uh, accounts and you can't really go wrong there. And it doesn't matter like how much, if you just do right. a, l- a little tiny baby one. You're good. There's no minimum. Great. Like they're not going to yeah. kick you out unless you have $10,000. They're all free. There are no, again, stay away from the ones that are a little less well-known unless you do your research, but generally they're all free to have. There's no account minimums. There's no commission for trading. Like that's all gone. They've truly made it so simple that that's anybody great, yeah. can go in, open an account, don't get overwhelmed, like go through the steps. It's just like any other type of account. Sure. Throwing money. I just think like people with money, like if you don't have a lot of money, or even if you do have a lot of money, like just putting something in like that, something like that, you're kind of like, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose it all. Well, I think there is a huge myth that it's, it's not worth investing unless you have all this money. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think about, okay, who out there really is, like you were saying, you know, who who out there, it's so hard to even save up an emergency fund, let alone then have another 10 grand that you're like, or a hundred grand, you know, that people feel like they need before they can invest. And it, I think that that is something I'm grateful that it feels like the last few years that myth has sort of started to get busted that like, no, everyone can invest. Everyone should invest. You ultimately cannot really get wealthy through a savings account. That's it. And even if at the end of the day, you invest $500 over the next two years, and that's all you can put in, that's still going to get a much higher return in the long run. The other thing I think about with those accounts at least for me, mentally, once that money is in that account, I am not going to touch it. I am so much less likely to dip into that pool unless, I mean, granted, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, okay, if like everything in my life, the bottom fell out, I would have access to this Mm -hmm. money, sure. But I am so much less likely to view that as an extension of my kind of working funds, like the way that I almost do a a savings account. Once that that's in the Schwab account, it's in there for life. I am not going to think about it again until I'm 65, hopefully, you know, and for me also, it takes the pressure off a little bit of like, I don't, I don't go into that account every day and say like, oh my gosh, I lost $35 yesterday. Like it's the long run. It's, you know, that money hopefully is going to be in that account for 30 years. 
Not to say that I'm not tracking kind of, okay, if I'm getting the email that some money has been traded, I'm looking into it. Like, let's see what's going. We do use a broker. Transparently, that costs us a hundred bucks a month. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm paying this person for their expertise. The return that I'm getting on someone expertly shifting around the chips, my hope and assumption is that that nets out to more than the amount that I'm spending each month. You know, the market right now is hasn't been great. That hasn't been the case. But this is like my opportunity to think long term. And for me, like it's really soothing to think, okay, there is this like little bucket of money out there. It's going to be waiting for me one day. I'm not going to think about it. That's not the bucket of money that I consider when I'm wondering whether or not I should go to Ireland, which I'm really grateful that we keep using that as an example because <laughs> that is the real world example for me mm-hmm. at all times. <laughs> I mean, side note, still working on it, guys. It's going to be, it's going to happen. It is very close to being a reality. Buckle up. We're going to Ireland. June 2024, save the date. You've been warned. <laughs> I think on, like when we think of Ireland, that is a subset of bucket too, right? Like, okay, I have my emergency account. It, it pains me to pull from it. Create an Ireland account, right? Name it that. All of these accounts you can basically name nowadays. That's my Ireland account. This is my, you know, purchase a home account. And then that will that will take away. I think one, it's empowering. And two, it's ex- extremely, like I did that. I saved that money and I don't have this guilt or, you know, shame pulling it out. That's what that money's for, Ireland or travel. I love that idea. Like we, I do have like our kind of smallest savings bucket. And I say bucket, right? Like it's just like, I know it's earmarked for this is like ski passes. You know, ski passes are going to cost us two grand this year. I'm starting to think about that a couple months ahead of time. So that doesn't pull out of my, my paycheck when it hits. And I'm like, oh crap, what am I going to do with this two grand? And I, you know, in the past, that feeling would have been like, I didn't, I haven't been planning for this but I have to buy it now. So now I'm putting it on a credit card and now I have a $2,000 balance on my credit card. And now those ski passes are gonna end up costing me $3,000 because over the next six months, but if I had started thinking about this six months ago, I could start pulling out a little bit each paycheck as opposed to on the back end, that pulling out of the paycheck being in the form of a credit card payment. Right. I think that is where you are starting to have a lot of autonomy and control over, I can, I can do this. And it's not perfect, right? Maybe you save up $1,000. That's still better than 2000 on a credit card. You don't want life like these sure. expenses will come up. Just like tomorrow, there's going to be a morning and there's going to be a lunchtime. And there's going to be a dinner time. These expenses will come up. They're inevitable. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I at least start controlling for it versus just letting it kind of reacting to it every time? Like that just, it starts to cycle over and over again. So I did see a question in here. I said, um, would you rather have a whatever bank account that's, I can't pronounce it, savings account with four to 5% or a brokerage account? So again, going back to, let me give some context to why these savings accounts are paying so much money right now. If you've been following a little bit of the financial news, there's these interest rates that keep going up because of inflation. So they are intentionally pulling this lever on interest rates to try to bring down inflation. So that if anybody has tracked their budget, I used to spend $30 on YouTube TV. Now it's 70. Like there has been a massive shift. Inflation is appearing everywhere. So these interest rates keep going up to basically try to tame that down to get it back to a normal level. When that happens, your money markets, and it's basically what your bank is paying you to have cash in their account, goes up. So it has not always been four to 5%. If you go to back to 2020, it was like 0%. The important thing here is that you are less concerned with chasing the returns and more concerned with what is the goal of that money. If it is an emergency account, four to 5%, great. Take it as a bonus. If you have more than that and you're like, I just, I, I need it for like a house down payment. Okay, then I would maybe move it to the highest yielding, which you can get in a brokerage account. You can keep cash in a brokerage account and make the four to five, 6%. You can do that. Oftentimes people think brokerage account means I have to invest it. You don't. You can just keep it in cash in a brokerage account. I will say anything above and beyond your emergency account, you should just invest it. I think there's this thought right now is I'm just going to get this 4 to 5%, avoid the stock market. Please remember that 4 to 5% fluctuates. It could be 1% next year. It could be 0%. We are not chasing money market rates because it's not advantageous to your future. It's great mm-hmm. if you can get it on money that's just sitting there. Absolutely for your emergency account, fantastic. Everything above and beyond that, like anything set aside for retirement or for, again, we keep saying brokerage account. If you can invest it, please do, because over time that pays off a lot more than money market rates. Got it. Okay, great. Um, did we get to Donna's question? I just want to make sure uh, about the, you may have already answered it, Lynette. It said, I rolled over a 401k into a traditional IRA account, but now it's not making nearly enough in interest in that traditional IRA account. Is there anything I can do about this or is the money all now stuck in this situation until I draw it out? No, that's a great question. So that's the world I lived in, the rollovers. Um, the, what I think happened without having access to your statement is when you rolled it over, it likely was invested in a 401k account. And when they rolled it over, 
or they just left it in cash. That's likely what happened because oftentimes they will just give it to you in a cash amount, so to speak. They take it out of the investments. What probably needs to happen is log back in and invest those funds now so that you see some of that same growth trajectory as a 401k. So if you do nothing, it's just going to sit there like cash, not what we want. They may or may not tell you that, but definitely it means it, it sounds like it just ha- it's not invested anymore that's a great mm, like if nothing else yeah. we just saved ourselves right years of it not being invested if it's just sitting in cash just it's not sitting invested. there yeah you need to go back great... and actually manually invest it again so that it keeps growing that's really yeah. that is a, a huge light bulb for me of like just because something is in a certain type of account you can't make assumptions with how it's yes. being managed because when i think ira i automatically think investment and you're saying like no that's not no. like mm-hmm. those things are not equal those terms are not the same you even if you're like an ira is just another type of account yeah. and you have to make sure it's being managed the way you are assuming that it's being managed. Yes. An IRA, again, when we say IRA Roth, we're probably more speaking to the tax implications. That's what those terms really stand for. How is it going to be taxed? The investments themselves embedded in there, like you said, Claire, it's an assumption. IRA, definitely invested. Not at all. It can sit in cash in a brokerage account. It can sit in cash in an IRA. It can sit in cash in a 401k. Manually going in there and actually doing something with the money is what invests it. Or maybe that's not the right word, but it, it puts it in the market to work. Somebody needs to physically go do that. One last thing, sorry, beneficiaries before we run out of time, if you don't mind. A big often missed part of all of these accounts is who inherits them when you pass away. Please save your family a lot of grieving and a lot of time and a lot of arguments and triple check that these accounts, one, have a listed beneficiary, all of them, your debit account, your credit, like your retirement account, your IRAs, your Roth, any account out there, and then ensure that the beneficiary is who you want it to go to. Because we do some of these things, right? When I'm in college and maybe, you know, I think my mom and then I'm actually, oh, years later, I'm married. I never changed anything. Please make sure it's going to the person you would want to bequeath the money to. This is often where a lot of arguments start with families. A lot of uh, hardship starts. I know it sounds really stupid, but people often miss that beneficiary part. That will be a lifesaver. Um, just go in there, make sure, triple check every now and then when you change jobs, uh, you know, beneficiaries are who I want them to be. Cause that's very simple estate planning. That could be great. Oh, that's it. That's huge. I think we could have a, could and probably should have a whole other episode on estate planning because mm-hmm. that term also is such, is so like yeah. old money. And like people assume I don't have, I went through this with my own father recently. He was like, oh, I don't have anything to leave. I don't need a state an estate plan. Like that is so not true. There's so many things that go into estate planning that are above and beyond your finances. You may not think that you have assets that you're going to be able to leave, but you do. It could be as simple as your car, your house, your debt. Like you got to go through that with someone. So that's a, we'll have you back yeah. on. We'll talk through that. But we also on that topic of like other things that you don't want to think about of what's going to happen when you die to all your stuff. One thing that mom Sandy always is telling us is like, make sure all your listeners have life insurance. Make sure all your listeners have even the most basic of a will because people die suddenly all the time. They leave their families in a lurch. Even if it's just life insurance through your employer that you're paying $5 into from your paycheck, make sure you have enough to cover your salary for you know maybe a year at, at least. I would probably put that in like the good, better, best category. Just making a plug for that of like another priority within your finances, make sure you have life insurance because it can happen. You never know. You don't want to plan for that. You think I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't need life insurance. I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't need a will. You never know what's going to happen and it happens all the time. So yes, that's my plug. I'm being, I'm being like possessed by mom Sandy right now to tell you get life insurance. And I think that's, again, when we get into why this matters, oh, I got to go talk to like MetLife or New York Life to pull out a life insurance policy. Crazy enough. A lot of employers provide it for like dollars. Um, And benefits is its own fraudly podcast, but going through and understanding what is your employer offering, there are a lot of hidden nuggets in there. All it means is like, okay, what's the best healthcare I should go? What's the best insurance plan for me? Okay. What is HSA versus FSA? Why would I benefit? Okay. Got that out the way. Life insurance is always in there. How much? Cause they always allow you to put more in or to increase the value and it automatically gets taken out of your paycheck. But does a person that perhaps would take it know that it's there. Does like my spouse know that there's health in, or there's life insurance out there? Because there's a whole big study on all this life insurance that goes unclaimed because people have no idea that it ever existed. So it, it's like, great, I got it, but I didn't tell anybody. Can't think of disability insurance. That's embedded in your employer plan. 
or your employer benefits. Reading through it, you know, every year there's enrollment, short-term disability versus long-term disability. Why does that, again, you can go on and on on why just reading and acknowledging it can be instrumental and life-changing for the future. All right. We obviously will have to have you back to talk through so many other things. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope the big takeaway everyone can have from this is just like little changes add up, little efforts add up. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be wealthy to make this matter. In fact, the less wealthy you are, probably the more of these types of things matter. So make it your goal maybe to be like Joy and just put set a goal of not being afraid of your budget. You don't even have to set a goal of making the budget. Don't feel tied to the apps. Don't feel tied to the spreadsheets. Do what works for you. Working, What's working for you might just be, I have a temperature rating that I feel like on my accounts. If they get below that, then I check in with myself. You don't have to be going line item by line item if that doesn't work for you. It's just so much flexible than you think so much more flexible than you think it is, but it is empowering. You can do it. The last bit of information I'll leave you, again, there's great studies out there, but women tend to be way better investors than men. And because we're so fearful of it, we often forget women have really good intuitive things that make them better investors. So please, the research, everything is out there that's in our favor. Please go out there. Please, you're, it feels overwhelming. It's it, it can be. Get over that hump. You are smarter than you give yourself credit for. You're probably doing great. And if you can acknowledge that, that gives you more, I don't know, happiness going into making a different purchase. I, I wish that upon everybody. I know this is not your like real full-time job being a financial advice giver, but if people do want to find you, how can they do that? Yeah, great question. So I am on Instagram. You're not going to find anything on there that's related to personal <laughs> finance, but I exist in that space. Uh, Lynette Rivas is my handle. So I think Joy and Claire will probably post my full name. But yeah, we can link it. Yes, yeah. um, Just if people want to reach out and be like, hey, yeah. thank you. It was great to hear from it's, you because you're not doing this as like a... Uh, your own business. Right. Like you have a full-time right. job, you work for a company. So people, um, as much as we love you, people can't reach out and like hire you for themselves. Uh, they can find, maybe you can give well, them recommendations. Can. On- <laughs> can. Yeah. If you search enough on LinkedIn, you will find me. Um, I am out there. So this advice is not coming from the company, I think is a distinguisher. You can absolutely, right. if you research my company, you're like, I think I'd be a good fit. Please reach out. Happy to uh, work with you there. But for sure, Instagram is just travel pics. That's all I post on there. Uh, I follow Joy and Claire. Obviously, that's about the extent <laughs> of most of my like real life following. But absolutely reach out. If you're like, hey, I just have a quick question. I can't give investment advice. You should never, ever get investment advice like off the cusp. That's usually not considering you and your personal finances. It's like somebody saying, hey, just don't eat bread. Like that, that has, you have no idea what my lifestyle is or what I'm trying to accomplish. So never take investment advice that's just shared openly. Generally, you need to do some more research to figure out what is the person really trying to accomplish? Where are they at? Okay, now I can follow with investment advice. So that's why you'll never get it from me. But yes, Instagram. All that to say is Instagram. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much for no, sharing your morning with us. Thanks, chat friends. You have some great questions. Um, yeah, we will definitely be having Lynette back on. Please email us if you have questions mm-hmm. specifically around the next couple of things we may get to talking about will be more around like benefits and estate planning. If you have personal finance questions that you really had hoped to hear about today that you didn't hear about, please go ahead and email them to us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. You guys know you can find us at on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can go to our website, joyandclaire.com. Please don't forget to support our amazing sponsor, Ned, helloned.com forward slash joy, J-O-Y, or discount code joy for 15% off your first order. Thanks, everyone, so much for being here. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.